3: Instead of the demolition man of twelve months previous, these were sensible additions to enhance, you know, an already decent squad. And I, th- I think there was a clear structure and a clear plan. Whereas the previous year we'd gone out a little bit scattergun approach, you know, to try and bring in all these kind of players. Some hadn't worked out. We saw some move on. And this year the recruitment was so much more focused and, and really trying to build for what McKenna was trying to do with the squad. <laughs>
2: Hello and welcome to the Blue Monday podcast covering all things Ipswich Town since 2015. My name is Mikey Penty-Smith and this is a special season review part one looking back at the magnificent 2022-23 campaign and joining me for this is Seb Brown and Joe Fez. How are you both? Joe, how much are you missing Portman Road at this stage?
4: I'm I'm fortunate that I'm the only one of the three of us that's an Ipswich resident so when I Sort of feeling a bit too much withdrawal symptoms. I can just take a little drive down there and past the stadium, check on what's going on at the Staples Building, see if I can get a glimpse through onto the pitch and see the work's being done there. No, so I have had to do that a couple of times since the season ended already.
3: Lovely. I'm guessing you haven't driven down from um, North Wales to do that yet, Seb. Not yet. No, I'm back for the bank holiday weekend, so I'll swing by to get my to get my fix of the stadium. No, it's just a bit rubbish, isn't it? Saturdays without Ipswich playing. I think I did some. Gardening last weekend, cleared out a shed, had a barbecue, and unfortunately, it's not August yet. So plenty more Saturdays to go, annoyingly. The, the,
4: only, the only good thing, though, was on Friday night, I went round to a friends for a Chinese and a couple of beers, and I could just sit there with a Peterborough chef, a Wednesday game on, just, just chilling as opposed to panicking and being on sort of like death's door trying to watch it.
2: <laughs> yeah, playoffs are so much more fun when you're, when you're not involved. Although of course we had a few seasons where we'd have absolutely bloody loved to have been in the playoffs, but there we are. Um, so it's been so. This uh, just so we're clear, this is um, we're going to do the first half of last season. Looking back, we're not going to talk about every single game. Um, we won't go into too much detail about Bracknell away or Butson at home. Um, but yeah, we're we're looking back, and it's been quite good fun, hasn't it? Doing the research, gents, and there's been some quite interesting numbers pop up as well, which I think they'll probably look more at um in part two. Um but Seb some really interesting numbers, particularly Connor Chaplin's goals.
3: There are, yeah. So I had a quick look last night at the kind of the, where the, where everyone stood at the halfway point in terms of goals and stuff. And Chaplin, I think, only had nine at the halfway point, which when you consider, you know, what he finished on, he had a hell of a second half of the season. I know he scored, was it ten? I think he got in April when he won the Player of the Month, so a a large chunk of them came there. But he was on—he was on that. Ladapo, I think, was on seven. So you know, the the overall kind of goals, first half, the second half of the season, it rose dramatically with all those, you know, four nil home wins, three nil away wins at our promotion rivals, two six nils in there. Um, But I thought it was very interesting. Yeah, halfway through the the campaign, I kind of thought Chaplin would at least be into into double figures, but no, he's only on nine. He was indeed, and.
2: There was also a few a few surprises for me, just looking back at this summer transfer window, and you'll have to forgive me we we're, we're we're trying to go in order here, but I appreciate that some of these signings obviously came along later into the window. <clears throat> but I must admit I thought we were stronger than we were um obviously it kind of makes sense that in January we brought in four players that were absolutely pivotal but so I guess the the big signings are up there at the top Leaf and Marcus Harness. And uh, they were there pretty early on, weren't they? Uh, we strengthened we we brought in two left backs, didn't we? But I think the main takeaway from that transfer window, Joe, was the the inability to sign another striker after we we got Freddie Ladapo so early on, didn't we? It was about this time last year, but we failed to get that second one over the line. Yeah, I think
4: I think Ledapo was our first signing, wasn't he? He came in and it was an agreed at the end of his contract from Rotherham he was going to be coming here for the new season and I think everyone thought, oh, good signing player there, but there's there's going to be another striker signed. And I I think we probably all imagined Freddie would start the season as backup or sort of in the role he played, sort of the second striker as opposed to the first one. But it it just didn't come and didn't come. And then we signed John Jules on loan from Arsenal. And then there was talk, oh, actually, yeah, even though we chased George Hurst all summer and, Latterly, Will Keane. There isn't the need for a striker because everyone's been impressed with John Jules. And I remember on Pod saying, I'm not really buying this. I think we need another centre forward. And lo and behold, transfer deadline day saw Gassana Hadme turn up. And I say, just with when you, when you look back at it now, that transfer deadline day really was a bit of a disaster, wasn't it? When we ended up with Gassana Hadme and Panucci Kamara, obviously all worked out well, but those two players gave us absolutely zero throughout the season one through injury, one through just not being. Up to, so up to the standard, really. So, yeah, yeah it, we were we were short in that centre forward role, and we were very well not lucky. I don't know if that's the right. word, that Freddie Ladapo was able to stay fit through the whole start of the season, but when you look, we had John Jules Jackson, Had starting sort of games here and there in cups in as that centre forward, but it never it never looked quite right.
2: I'm just going to read through these because I appreciate that a lot of people will be listening on podcast rather than watching on video. So, got I, this is done in expenditure order. So Leif Davis was was the big signing at the top. Then Marcus Harness, Panucci Camera came in a little bit later, Dominic Ball, Freddie Ladapo, Greg Lee, Richard Keough, um, and then as you mentioned, Gassner had me came in later on. Torres John Jules was um there from the start on loan from from Arsenal. But Seb, I'm guessing despite, despite that lack of striker, we were probably I think we were looking at that thinking
3: this squad is definitely good
2: enough to to challenge at the top of the table?
3: I think so. Yeah. We'd had the kind of six months under McKenna and it was very obvious how he was going to play and we we clearly recruited that way. You know, when you look at the likes of Greg Lee, Ladapo, Don Ball, these are kind of physical players. You know, the Selena thing kind of rumbled on a little bit and then we went out and got Marcus Harness, a player who I've always always liked at this level. So I thought he was a, a bit of a coup. And then I guess, yeah, Davis was the kind of the big exciting one really wasn't it because you know we're spending over a million quid on a, a reserve left back who played a, a handfuls a dozen games for Bournemouth the previous season but you're thinking okay well he's he's come through under Bielsa which means he's going to be firstly probably incredibly fit And we know McKenna wants that from his from his players he's going to be very well drilled if he's come from a you know a Bielsa preseason and a Bielsa school of training so yeah I th- I think we all kind of assumed going into the season that we would certainly be Top four, I think I predicted us to actually to, to finish second. I thought Peterborough would win the league, I thought we finished finish second. And these were kind of, instead of the demolition man of 12 months previous, these were sensible additions to enhance, you know, an already decent squad. And I, th- I think there was a clear structure and a clear plan. Whereas the previous year, we'd gone out a little bit scattergun approach, you know, to try and bring in all these kind of players. Some hadn't worked out. We saw some move on with the likes of Piggott off to, off to Pompey. And this year, the recruitment was so much more focused and, and really trying to build for what McKenna was trying to do with, with the squad.
2: And the the first game of the season was a pretty tricky one on paper. I think we we knew at the time that Bolton were going to be quite good this season. Um, I'll just run through that lineup. Not going to do this, by the way, for for every single game. But I thought it'd be interesting to look back at that first lineup. Uh, so Walton was in goal, and it's kind of the the back three of Danassi and Edmondson and Wolfenden. Davis came in for his debut, despite only signing, I think, a couple of days before that match. Uh, so he was picked ahead of Lee. He was giving us the whip down the left, Burns on the right, and then it was the double pivot of Morsey and Evans, which was which was really good early on in the season. And then Marcus Harness was in for his debut, um, and Chaplin in behind Freddie Ladapo, who did get the nod from the start ahead of John Jules. And Davis, the big money signing, had a bit of a nightmare in that game, didn't we? And ultimately it was a game that we we ended up drawing
4: yeah he was he was up against connor bradley wasn't he he was probably bolton's sort of best player what probably the best right back in the league this season and he gave him a tough time i think he'd been on well davis had been on pre-season tour in australia and he'd only landed back a couple of days before and he he did look not with it not not awful but just Not quite up to it. Had I don't think he trained with the team before, then sort of just dropped straight into it, and maybe that was a mistake that McKenna made on that first day of the season. But we got back into the game, got level, and should have won the game right at the death, shouldn't we? Sam was he bursting through on goal and sort of listening over. I think we were all quite happy with the start. Bolton was always a tricky game to start with. They were one of the better sides in the second half of the season, and they probably one of the only sides that really convincingly beat us under Kieran McKenna in the season before, and it was an absolutely
2: baking hot day at Portman Road, wasn't it, on end of July? It was, yeah. It was a cracking atmosphere, though, and a sign of things to come, said that goal as well, being creative with the set pieces, and it was Evans that scored it.
3: Yeah, obviously it was something Something. One of the we'll probably talk throughout the podcast about, sort of, boxes ticked in, in compared to previous years, and yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a clever routine by Chaplin who kind of pulls the ball back to an unrushing Evans round about the kind of edge of the box, who smashes it first time into the net, and yeah, on the first day you just don't want to lose, do you? Against a rival, you don't want to lose that first game of the season, so we should have won it with the chance at the end from Morsey. but yeah, you know, a baking hot day, it's a test for the, the players' fitness, a few new arrivals bedding in, get the point, and then look to move on to, to, to the easier games to come, because Bolton on the first day wasn't exactly a, a given was it? no that,
2: that one wasn't a gimme and as you say there were easier games ahead we played Forest Green the following Saturday although it didn't prove to be an easy game um, Marcus Harness got off the mark um, Morsey made up for his missed chance the previous week with a lovely curling goal down is it the Cotswolds by Forest Green I, I remember people having a nightmare getting to that game um, but one that we just needed to tick off Wolfenden missed that game I don't think he missed many more after that Joe
4: no, I think he picked up a knock because he wasn't on the bench for that one. He just he just wasn't there. And I don't think he really missed any more until there was one away at Morecambe where Keogh came in for it. And then the two at the back end of the season, again, against Morecambe and Cambridge, I think he missed those two. But that was about it for him there.
2: Yeah. And just looking at it, I think we kind of switched to more of a four at the back for that one and pushed push Burns higher up the pitch. Um, and next up we had, we had our first three game week of the season with Milton Keynes at home. And I think we were all anticipating a really tricky game there, Seb. Um completely brushed them aside, didn't we? 3 0. Really impressive stuff.
3: It was it was, yeah, one of the one of the hallmarks. I was setting your, your stole out at the start of the season, you know. Another baking hot day. they just come off the back of a superb performance. They lost in the playoffs obviously to Wickham across the two legs. They did lose people in the summer but I still kind of thought I didn't think they'd be in the playoffs but I certainly didn't think they would have got relegated I thought they'd kind of finished just outside between sort of seventh and and tenth and and yeah we kind of started to see that any side that comes to Portland Road and wants to try and take us on will get taken apart you know we were so comfortable we scored early which is always a a big big help I remember Dean Lewington getting torn apart by Burns and Nassi and down that done our right-hand side there left. And, and yeah, we kind of started to see this this development of the, of the team moving from that back three to more like a four with kind of really advanced full-backs and, and Morsi and Evans providing that solid base for the wide players to go on and and do their stuff. And, and yeah, it was, like you said, the start of a three-game week, a really, really good performance against a side that had been you know much better than us the, the previous year and just another little box ticking that, you know, if, if a side wants to come and try and take us on, We'll be pretty comfortable because we were starting to see this kind of preseason paying off. Where McKenna had clearly been drilling patterns of play and overlapping fullbacks. I remember Denasty and getting to the byline. I think it's a Chaplin's goal, the third one. He gets an overlap from Burns, gets to the byline, pulls it back, and Chaplin shoots home. And yeah, we we're starting to see things that have clearly been worked on from the summer in, in in front of our faces. And It was great to see. Did yeah, and
2: you talked about ticked boxes, Seb. Uh, the first ticked box came another sorry another tick box came on the following tuesday away at burton where we won a game away from home without playing well at all joe marcus harness was the match winner. i think greg lee got the nod for that one and gassner had me was a bit of a handful up front for burton but a bit of individual magic from harness and we were really pleased to get the three points off that because that was a pretty sticky performance wasn't it
4: I think when you look back at it, when you if you go into like the stats of games, like the XG, the chances had, that was probably our worst performance of the season, or mm. the team that played best against us, whichever way whichever way you want to put it, that was the side that caused us the most problems, and we caused them very little. If it wasn't for a couple of really good saves from Christian Walton, efforts cleared off the line, crossbar smashed, we we could have been well behind in that game, and it took a really good goal from Marcus Hansen in the second half to win it but it's not like when we scored the goal it settled us down and we then sort of started picking up they, they were just really better than us from start to finish and we got out there with three points and you looked at the table and said like, oh, okay we're, we're now we're now picking up here and sort of this is going to be a season where we're going to be looking up rather than down.
2: Indeed it was especially as we then went to Shrewsbury on the Saturday and we absolutely swept them aside. I think Shrewsbury had I think I remember even from your pre match show way back in August, Seb that Shrewsbury were in dire straits at this point. They they didn't have many players available, but we did a real professional job job on them and John Jules announced himself as a as an Ipswich player with that wonderful individual goal.
3: Yeah, he got the nod for the first time as the number nine, didn't he? So Ladapo was on the bench and John Jules gets that central striking role and yeah, we absolutely took them to the cleaners. It could have been way more. I remember Vincent Young, we should have had a penalty within the first five, 10 minutes. It was one of the most blatant penalties you'll see that that wasn't given, didn't matter in the end. But John Jules scores that goal where yeah, you know, he he kind of uses his strength to win the ball back off one of their centre-halves. I I think I described it as Thierry Henry-esque on the flagship show afterwards because he kind of sits a couple of players down and just strokes the ball home. It was a lovely goal and that was the first of these kind of complete domination you know it must have been in the 60 percent of possession multiple shots you know we made we made it look really really straightforward i remember afterwards one of the shrewsbury podcasts was saying we've probably seen the league champions there and you know that was aside saying that what three four weeks into the into the season you know our our play was being noticed because we were so dominant in some of those earlier away games
2: bit harsh on plymouth though to to not be talking about them there we go got that one in there. Um, we then hosted uh, Barnsley, the last game of August, Joe. Connor Chaplin scored a lovely free kick and Morsey scored a Matt Holland-esque goal from midfield. We ended up drawing that game 2-2, but it was another pretty good performance. And we were really enjoying that midfield partnership, weren't we, with Lee Evans and Sam Morsey. We were saying, this is the best midfield partnership in the division. Really hope we can keep these two fit.
4: Yeah, Evans was just pinging the ball back from side to side and Morsey was just doing so much running, getting forward a lot, getting on the end of chances to score goals. I think that was his second of the season in and he'd had a good chance in sort of every game up until that point. This game was obviously the frustration one where at 2-1 well, Marcus Harness scores a yes. perfectly good goal. It gets unbelievably disallowed and then Callum Styles manages to head the ball in from about 15 yards out from a corner. It loops in and... A real, real unjust two-two, and at this point, Barnsley were not really, hadn't really started the season that brightly, and it looked frustrated. But as you got to the end of the season, it looked like it could have been a massive sort of a massive sort of swing. That extra two points we should have had of Barnsley there, hmm.
2: and yeah, as you mentioned, um, Harness scoring what should have been a goal. I think people have forgotten how much of a crucial player he was for us at the start of the season. I'm,
4: I'm pretty sure I can't remember. <clears throat> whether it was a club award or another award, but he was the player of the month for uh, August, scored a few goals. First first month of the club, scored some big goals as well in that time, the Burton one especially, but scored a few goals, player of the month, sort of a couple of assists, made a brilliant, brilliant start to the season there, which has sort of been forgotten about in sort of Nathan Broadhead's
2: impact in the second half of the season. Yeah, indeed. And one player that hadn't scored at this stage though, Seb, and it was beginning to become a little
3: bit of a worry, wasn't it? Was Freddy Ladapo. Yeah, it was becoming a bit of a thing, wasn't it? And he kind of has this, this relationship with the North Stand in the Northampton game, which followed Barnes. It was a 6 0 win, and they're kind of cheering for him to try and get himself a goal. And he'd led the line very well. I remember being quite impressed, yeah, especially yeah. at Forest Green away. And I think he had a couple of early chances against MK, if I remember correctly, down the South Stand end. And yeah, he, he was leading the line fine. But as any new striker at a club, you want that goal to come, don't you? And it just wasn't falling for him. Harness was the one getting the headlines, Chaplin was kind of popping up with a couple here and there. And whilst he was doing very well up front, maybe the, you know, I guess John Jules kind of comes in, starts one game in the number nine role and scores a lovely goal. Maybe that was starting to, to weigh on his mind a little bit. And like I said, there's this little bit of a to and fro between the North Stand and him during this cup game where we're kind of all kind of begging for him to, you know, finally get off the, get off the mark.
2: And he, he does manage it, doesn't he? We, I wasn't really going to go into this game in any sort of detail, but we were in 6-0. I think the Dapo misses a couple and then scores one. Yeah. Um. So we're just talking about the league, though. Unbeaten in six, Joe, sat second at the end of August. Not really many complaints at this stage, but we were all kind of in agreement that we, we probably do need to sign another striker.
4: Yes, yeah, it was, especially because Freddie hadn't scored at this point, it was a case that, we We need goals from that position as well as as well as the good player holding up the ball because i think i so he looked at the stats he had the most shots per game in the team the most the highest xg per ninety in the team and it's like the chances are being created for the forward and he's just not, he's just not taking them and he was missing some good chances as well in that period i think even in pre-season, he had a couple of good opportunities against i think west ham in the in the sort of big home pre-season friend who sort of went through on goal and didn't score and missed a, another good chance. It's like, is he is he just going to be a good player, just not scoring? As a striker, if you don't find your feet early on, it can sort of sum up your whole period at a club, can't it? And it was, I know it just felt we need to get this striker in and there was links, I think it was Willa Sula we were linked
2: with and then all of a sudden it was Kasana Hadmay signed. And the rest they say is history or not. Um, as we mentioned, Adapa had got off the mark in the Pizza Cup On that Tuesday in between the Barnsley game and Accrington away, but it was actually Caden Jackson who was picked to lead the line at Accrington on the Saturday with John Jules playing off the left and uh, Connor Chaplin was left on the bench. That was a little bit of a, a surprise, wasn't it, Seb, to see Caden Jackson back, not only back, but back playing through the middle for us.
3: Yeah, definitely. I think we kind of saw towards the, he kind of had that role, didn't he? The, towards the end of last season, before he did his hamstring in, I think McKenna clearly trusted him and liked liked what he could bring from the kind of closing down and pressing from the from the front, given his superb pace. I kind of figured in the summer when you know John Jules comes in, Ladapo comes in, that we would see him as a as kind of a wide forward in the wide right or the wide left. Areas, so yeah, it was a bit of a surprise to see him come in and, and start that game. But I guess you know, it's an example of McKenna's kind of horses for courses approach at the start of the season. We saw John Jules come in in the number nine slot against Shrewsbury. Jackson gets this one, and he did okay that day. I his pressing was pretty decent, he had a chance, he should have scored. He went through one on one at nil nil and he should have have taken his chance, but he hit the shot kind of straight at the keeper. And then this, like I've said earlier, another box ticking, you know, we score two goals from Chaplin relatively late on, a place we traditionally struggle with. I hope I never have to go back to Accrington ever again. It's not been a happy place I've been to since we've been down in League One. It's a place we always, always tend to kind of get turned over. But yeah, one goal from a set piece again, one away at Accrington, and we kind of started to think, I do this is this is feeling very, very different to the previous seasons at this level. It did
2: start to feel that way and that, that win moved us back to the top of the table and a more routine win followed on the Tuesday night against Bristol Rovers with Chaplin again finding the net. So Chaplin's starting to find some form in front of goal here. Um, and I think Lee Evans scored that kind of weird goal from distance, didn't he? Didn't he? That bit sort of just bounced in uh, low in front of this Bobby Robson stand. But next up, Joe, is what was the biggest game of the season so far at Hillsborough. Um Kira McKenna, again, gave Caden Jackson the nod through the middle. Um, this this game, it was kind of uplifting, but also incredibly frustrating. And there was a lot of nonsense going on in the stands as well, wasn't there, Joe?
4: Yeah, well, we scored really, really early, didn't we? Caden Jackson in the first few minutes scored. And a nice then, finish. Yeah, sort of ball, Edmondson drove forward, and the ball broke to Jackson, and he? he just lifted it, sort of put it away, really tidy finish. And then after that, I think we sort of were keeping them at arm's length really. And they were getting, their crowd was getting so angry and over the top about every decision, even things where it's just like a free kick was given when it was obviously a free kick and there was items raining down onto the pitch at the officials. And there was a few announcements over the tannoy and it almost felt like the game was going to get canceled. And then Dominic Iorfa puts into his own net and it's two nil with sort of 15 minutes left. And you think, well, this game's either going to get cancelled, or there's going to be a riot, or we're going to win. But then they managed to get one back, and then maybe because of the pressure that had been put on the officials, he misses a real blatant offside against Michael Smith, who's miles off when he scores the equaliser with five minutes left. But, I don't know, that just seemed, the intimidation of the stadium sort of seemed to get to the officials as much as it got to the team. And I think probably by the end, we probably felt lucky to get out of there with a point after letting that one back in with five minutes left. But there's no way it should have got to that, really.
2: No, and if you thought that one was frustrating, eight days later we play Plymouth live on Sky. Jackson's playing at wingback in this game. Oh, Burns the Dapo is on
4: international duty, wasn't he? Yeah.
2: Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, I'd I'd missed that one in my notes, and that that does kind of make sense, doesn't it? Although it was pretty strange. I think Jackson did did have quite a good game at wingback. The Dapo finally gets off the mark. Um, it's not quite the goal that goes in off the. Strike is behind, but it was a pretty <laughs> scruffy goal, Seb. But we did what we always seem to do in previous seasons, so we can't tick this box off yet. We come out second best against a rival.
3: Yeah, still remnants maybe of the old Ipswich in there. We kind of, yeah, we go 1-0 up with the defensive. effort. as well. Loot. On Sky, yes, of course. On the Sunday, was it Sunday kickoff? I think wasn't it? We have yeah, the yeah, Ladapo kind of goes through and has that deflected shot which just loops the one place Cooper can't get to it, and then I remember Harness missing a chance as well in the second half that went narrowly past the post, and that might have might well have killed the game because we were doing okay, and then. Plymouth do what Plymouth do, you know, it was a, uh, it was a, it was it the, the, the equalizer was Bally Mumba, wasn't it? We, there was some criticism for Connor Chaplin who kind of goes down looking to win a free kick in the box, but maybe he should be stronger there and Mumba gets the equalizer. And then Edmondson kind of with a weak pass out from the back, Morgan Whittaker kind of gets onto it and has that, has that goal again from outside the box, put them 2-1 up. And then in the last minute, obviously, Walton goes up for the, for the corner and it's a, it's a fantastic save by Cooper, isn't it, to keep the scores left, to, to keep them ahead at 2-1. And yeah, on, on, the, on the balance of play, I thought we played really well that day. I thought we probably deserved a point. I don't think we deserved to win the game. but We certainly didn't deserve to lose it, I don't think. And yeah, frustration following that Sheffield Wednesday game as well because the table was kind of starting to take shape a little bit, wasn't it? We were still second at that point. Um, and we could kind of see how things were going to go. And to, to go away from home at both those and only walk away from it with one point, given how well we played both at Hillsborough and at Home Park, was kind of a bit of a, a bit of a kick in the teeth, wasn't it? Because we played well on, on both occasions.
2: Joe, did you start to worry at this stage that it was just going to be same old Ipswich this season?
4: Not really, because that was our first defeat, wasn't it? I, I felt, it was, yeah, I, I felt pretty confident the whole way through the season that we were going to get promoted. The only time when it it stopped, obviously, going into is when we drew 0-0 at Bristol Rovers. I thought, okay, well, that is the top two done, but. We just—it's now a case of getting us set for the players. But I—I I was confident we'd be top two the whole way through the first half of the season, including after this Plymouth game. So I thought we went there, and I thought we probably just about edged the game. But and it was a case of Plymouth can't keep getting away with it. But obviously, 101 points later, they—they they did. But no, no, I—I I was still confident.
2: And I'm sure you would have been after a pretty cathartic victory the following weekend against Portsmouth, where I think we're fourth. We we dropped to second. I think Portsmouth were just behind us. They were hot on our heels. They'd had a good start to the season. Um, they came uh, to Portland Road that following Saturday. John Jules played, played up front on his own. A really good performance. We scored a late winner. We overcame a team that was right up there with us, Joe. This felt like a really big moment in the season, didn't it? Yeah, and another goal for Freddie
4: as well. A a really good goal coming off the bench bench this time. time, So it was then a a couple of goals and a couple of big games. And this one felt a big game because at the time, Portsmouth were right up there with us. I know they Mm. subsequently fell away, but they were sort of top of the league a couple of games before this. And we were just miles better than them on the day, weren't we? We dominated, but they had two penalties and obviously Mm. scored them both. And it just felt like, come on, we can't, we've got to win this one. Otherwise it was, we're looking at, all of a sudden, we've come up against good team. Sheffield Wednesday played well, drawn. Plymouth played well, lost. Now Portsmouth at home played well, and we looked like we were drawing or or not going to win that game. So that was a great relief when Westburns sort of nodded in Edwards's cross, sort of from in the goal almost, wasn't it? It was mm. already there. And big attendance at Portman Road, a big, a big crowd, big noisy crowd there as well. And it was a sort of a sign of things to come for the second half of the season, really, wasn't it?
2: It was, yeah. And was that Burns' first goal of the season as well? I I, I seem I think to remember he scored,
3: he, against, he scored against MK in the in the
4: yeah, home game like uh, the yeah. games in. Shot yeah. across the goalie, wasn't it?
2: But
3: he hadn't quite
2: lived up to, to last season at this at, at this stage. I mean, how could he really
0: Yeah but...
4: there there was a few um there's a lot of comments about Burns through the first half of the season, wasn't there? Especially in the time after he was left out of the Wales squad. But the the only thing I would say for him is that he was still working hard, but he, he was popping up with big goals in big games, wasn't he? All the all the big games he seemed to score goals, especially at Portland Road.
2: Yeah, and that's exactly where we were three days later. This was the Kyle Edwards show against Cambridge. <laughs> kind of forgot about this game where we we scored three late goals, didn't we? Or three pretty late goals um, to back up that win against Pompey. Um and then we, we went on and won away at Morecambe. These these three game weeks are huge in need one and that was another nine point week Seb. <laughs> Things really looking up. Morecambe wasn't easy either, though, was it?
3: Yeah, no. It was the second time we'd, we'd, we'd done it, wasn't it, in the season. So the, the Cambridge game, we had to be patient at home. And obviously, John Jules gets the the breakthrough and a couple of late stunners from from Edwards, one with the kind of cross from the byline that goes in and then that one towards the end where he kind of runs onto it. And then Morecambe away wasn't great. I remember going to it, and I, it was probably our our worst performance of the maybe up there with Burton, the first half, certainly we were pretty poor. We couldn't really kind of get going. I think Edwards maybe got a start in that game and Jackson were the two wide players and it wasn't really working and McKenna kind of tries to change them over and Chaplin misses a penalty. We go we go one nil down, but then we kind of start to get ourselves back in the game in the second half and Edmondson scores from another set piece. I can't remember if it was a corner or a free kick, but it's another set piece goal. And then we get a second penalty and obviously Evans takes that one and, and slams it home. And, and yeah, I guess, I think at the time I remember saying that this, you know, the, like it's been said in football for so many years, a sign of a good side when they, they, they don't play amazingly and they get get the points. That's what we were doing. That was that was a big week again to get those three games on the bounce, nine points in the bag to, to really kind of cement our position at the top of the league.
2: Yeah, it was great. One defeat in 10 at that stage. We'd started really strong. We were really confident. Um, had no idea what was ahead, though. We produced one of the worst performances of the season the, the following Saturday. Um, when Lincoln came to town, Jay, it was a
4: frustrating game that this one wasn't it because we had a lot of chances and it was one of those ones where you end up with thirty shots against three. But I don't think we really—it's <laughs> hard to say we didn't do enough because we obviously we obviously did do enough. But it—it it wasn't a game I walked out thinking like I can't believe we haven't won that. It felt like actually we just haven't we haven't done the right things here. They've they've just got bodies back in the box. We've kept trying to do the same things and. That they weren't working, and we just carried on doing doing things that weren't working. And sort of that was the game you sort of walked out really disappointed.
2: Seb, you've started to get a little bit worried about that, like we because we'd seen us struggle a little bit and then come out on top against the likes of Burton and Morecambe and Accrington to some degree. But then,
3: yeah, teams started to come to Portland Road with quite clear game plans, didn't they? Cambridge kind of executed it pretty well for the first 70 minutes of the game or so. It, it was quite obvious that we were going to be looking at on paper, maybe a back three, but in reality, a back five from oppositions with stay-at-home fullbacks that we'd kind of struggled to find space in behind. And it clearly became quite obvious quite quickly that a lot of teams were going to come to Portner and do that. I wasn't worried at this stage. The Lincoln game, was frustrating um but given how dominant we've been in some of the previous performances i kind of remember just writing off as one of those one of those days and um, we'll discuss chelton that was a, that was kind of a similar one i remember mm. thinking that you know sometimes you can you can play all day and you're simply not going to score and i wasn't overly concerned because i guess under previous regimes and managers we i'd kind of be more worried about are they going to be able to find a way around this i remember a similar way on with burley going back you know 20 25 years Trammere and the like would come to Portman Road and just look to completely stifle the play. But again, like I had with Burley with McKenna, there's this full faith that he will learn from the experience and then go out there and you know if it happens again, he'll learn how to kind of break the lines and, and play through those those low blocks. And and with him in the dugout, I didn't really have any concerns. This would be a major thing for the rest of the season because of how professional and how you know how many coaches and analysts we have at any one time.
2: Yeah, we were probably quite pleased that the next visitors to Portman Road were were Derby, a team that were, were up there challenging for promotion. They were always going to come and try and give us a game
0: conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes
1: first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times.
2: Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like home comforts. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home advantage with Mook Delivery. You win. Order now on the McDonald's app. at participating restaurant's 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
5: Whether you need a VPN to protect you while online, to allow you to change your worldwide location virtually, or maybe a bit of both, NordVPN gives you the freedom to do so. NordVPN also allows you to stream TV shows, films and even sporting events which aren't available in your local region, changing to a country which is showing that content, meaning you can switch as seamlessly as a Kira McKenna in-game tactical tweak with just one click. But that's not all. NordVPN can also look after you while online, preventing your card details and passwords from falling into the wrong hands, safeguarding your personal and sensitive information from harm. Think of it as a cyber Sam Morsey, offering protection to your own personal back four, but with far fewer yellow cards. NordVPN is available for the price of a cup of Bovril per month, and one account can be used across six different devices. Visit nordvpn.com forward slash Blue Monday or click the link in the podcast description for more information about the offer and a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee trial period. You'll also be helping out the pod by subscribing.
2: That was a weird one, wasn't it? Live on Sky, we're wearing a black kit. Um, But some people call this one a real seminal moment set because we we came out on top against another rival, also on Sky.
3: Yeah, I think it was. It was a big game, wasn't it? You know, they built it up. It was on Sky. We had the Pyrotechnics before the before the kickoff and we we're we're in the the, the black kit as a bit of a marketing gimmick. But we played we played well that night. You know, Derby at that point had started to get their groove going. I think Warren've only been in the job a couple of a couple of weeks, maybe. He hadn't been there for that long, but you want to, you don't really wanna be playing a Paul Warren side after he's had a decent, you know, transfer window and a decent amount of time with the with the players on the training pitch. But, yeah, we, we played well that night. And, again, big game Burns kind of steps up when he needs to and gets the... Gets the goal. It was it was you know a, a, a really good performance under the lights and similar to those Pompey that that Portsmouth game, it was kind of another box ticked against another so-called big boy. I, I, I don't know where they were in the league at that point, but we kind of figured they'd be finishing in or around the top six, and it was another decent, solid three points against a, a potential rival, which we traditionally we don't do as Ipswich Town do we? How many times in the past under Lambert were we saying that we just got this awful record against the top six? We were starting now to tick those wins off against the uh, against the rivals around us in the league.
4: And it was the big crowd. We we always seemed to not turn up when the big crowds had turned up in previous seasons. Ticket promotions, big crowds, yeah. big derbies. not turn up. But this was a, close to a sellout, I think, wasn't it? Or an, an official sellout or unofficial sellout at the time. And it was just felt a big game. Good atmosphere. Friday night, I think everyone had had a couple of beers ready to get themselves fired up for the game, including not the players.
2: Yeah, it was a big night, that one. I remember Tommy Miller was there that night. I bought him a beer in. RK Street Tavern after the game. That's how high on life I was at that after that one. Caden Jackson missed a penalty though. We're really rotating that front line at this stage. Seb, is this a case of us just not having that hot hand, or I think or, so. Yeah. Or is it just you mentioned it earlier, the horses for courses thing, and that and that maybe felt like that was going to be the plan going forward.
3: Maybe, I mean, I, I think we were just struggling to find that consistent goal scorer at the top of the pitch. You know, Harness had chipped in with a few, Chaplin was starting to to get in his groove and contribute, but the the number nine role was, you know, Freddie was finding himself on the bench a little bit. Spoiler alert, in the game we're about to discuss, he kind of gets a couple of goals and that really kind of sets him off on a on a decent run but yeah I think we were just still trying to find that that formula in the final three in the final uh third of the pitch you know the two tens and the two wide players were doing their part but we were struggling for a really consistent number nine delivering the goals at that point still which is which is a, a, you know indictment of the summer recruitment. We know we were after George Hurst. We know we needed George Hurst, he was clearly identified as being the the one to fit that model as as, as McKenna wanted to play. And kind of until we got him, we were kind of scrabbling around a little bit, trying to find players that could you know do the job. I, th- I think was it had May injured at this point? So uh, you know uh, uh, there was no yeah, he real. Injured
4: Plymouth, didn't he? I think.
3: Yeah, there was there was no real option other than you know freddie was kind of the out and out striker and john jules and, and jackson would come in here and there and there was no like for like physical unit you know had me off the bench to try and change the games in the in the final few minutes of, of matches
2: and you kind of teased this game away at port vale we were without lee evans and sam morsey for this one joe this was the night that cameron Humphreys really announced himself wasn't it? he scored a fantastic goal really mature performance and Ladapo scored a couple as well
4: yeah, there was the, um, obviously with both of those players being out, Don Ball, I think it was almost Don Ball's first start in the league as yeah. well. And Cam Humphreys, it was his full league debut. I think he'd made a couple of appearances against Charlton the previous season, but th- this was the first time he had any league action this year, and big performance from him. Scores the first goal, or the second goal it was, wasn't it? Scores the second goal after a brilliant, brilliantly worked first goal, and for the third goal, it's him making that lung-busting run all the way to the byline, right? Sort of, as the game, it's... it's Gets, to, gets towards the end and pulls the ball across and it ends up at Ladapo with an open goal to score. But this was a really tough game. I thought Port Vale were a good side that night. And yeah, they were. I thought on, that, on that big pitch at Vale Park, it was a, a real effort. And this was a felt I don't know, some of those away games, you're not always playing the best teams in the league, but sometimes you go to these away games and you get yourself over the line and they feel a massive win. I think that without Sam Morsey, without Lee Evans in there, two players making their debuts and never played with each other and you come away with a big win. That, that, that felt like a, a big moment in the season, that one.
2: It did, yeah. And do you think it's maybe forgotten a little bit, Joe, just just how much of an impact Cameron Humphreys made, because he ended up probably in the side a lot more than what would have been planned for him, but he made some really key contributions, didn't he?
4: Yeah, I, I think 100% that's the case, because as it as he ended up having to play too many games, and I think maybe McKenna didn't do him any favours a couple of times when he's playing him in cup games as well, in between the league games, and I think he was a little bit overplayed in, in that sort of January period, and yeah, some teams, in some of those games, when you go away to Wickham and you've got a ref who maybe isn't going to give you much protection, he struggled in those games. And there were ga- there were games when they got three around R2 in the middle and, and he did struggle. But generally, it was a performance. It was a season of much more positives and negatives there. Big goals, big moments, big performances when needed and just fitted right in when he, when he needed to. And well, he's got a very big future at this football club, hasn't he?
2: Yeah, he has. He's one that we're really excited about. Um, and also, well,
4: still, sorry, just carry on with Humphreys again, a player who still will be under 21 for next season. So we know McKenna likes to have a bigger squad, and that's almost a free player that he can have in there when we don't have that luxury with Harry Clark being older, Tyrese Johns, Jules being older, Premier League low knees that come in under 21 count as a squad player next season where they don't in League One. So okay. I, I don't know, there's all talk of him going out online, but I think he's going to be one that they want to keep around to give us that
2: extra body, which McKenna will like. Excellent stuff. Already getting excited about next season. I, I remember going into the away game at Charlton, a lot of the talk after that game, Seb, we'll talk about um, before the game first, was if Humphreys was going to keep his place. As Morsey comes back in, that was always going to happen, but Evans didn't. Was it going to be Dom Ball or Cameron Humphreys? And I think maybe the that the pragmatic choice was to go with Don Ball. So then we we go to Charlton and we fully expect to just, I don't know, just pick up a
3: nice 2-0 win on the road. <laughs> or a 4-2 or win at 93 minutes, whatever it was. Yeah, I mean, we've discussed this game to absolute death, haven't we? You will, you will never see a game like this for 10, 15 years or so. It was absolutely crazy, wasn't it? I think, was this the game, was this Ball's last appearance? I think, it was it confirmed after this that he had the injury? Remember? I think he, he, well, went off, he went off, didn't he? I think, if I'm right, he goes off and, yeah, he's, he's got a knock. And, yeah, that game was crazy. We actually threw away the two-goal lead at Port Vale, didn't we, in the week. We were 2-0 up. They pulled it back to 2 uh, 2 before Ladapo gets the winner. And again, we all know what happens 2 0 up away to Charlton, Edmondson, and John Jules with the goals. Pull it back to 2 2. Ladapo has his Noel Hunt moment in front of you guys. Morsey puts the icing on the cake. You left the ground, didn't you? Happy, thinking, boom, 4 2, great. And then. We all know what, what went wrong. And I guess the the major fallout from that, I think at the time on the flagship, we were all saying it's just a freak, it's a freak game. I was at the Derby four four game under Mick in two thousand and thirteen, whenever it was, it's the kind of thing that comes round once every ten years or so. But I, I don't think we kind of acknowledged what a what a kind of effect it would have on the upcoming games of the season.
4: And yeah, I think there's e- two so two issues that were well, three issues causing it at the time. One was Christian Walton that was in a st- in a run of pretty poor form at this stage just not keeping shots out of his goal he wasn't it wasn't he was playing awfully he just wasn't really saving any shots was he there weren't any it's not like they were all easy shots that he was just letting in maybe the one at Cheltenham that followed followed this was but he just wasn't keeping the ball out of the goal. And we talked about um, how Conor Chaplin had seven goals in the first half of the season, 19 in the second. I think if you look at Christian Walton's clean sheet numbers and he ended up with winning the Golden Gloves, 23 clean sheets, but I think something like 15 of those were in the second half of the season and eight were in the first half, maybe, maybe even more in the second half of the season. It was a, we were just conceding too many individual goals there. And again, the other, the other thing that came from this game, as said, mentioned Dominic Bull picked up the injury hmm. as did, um, Tyrese John-Jules, neither of them played a league game for us up until the running for Dominic Ball and those two. And this was really when it felt that the squad, which looked okay at the start of the season, we then signed Panucci, Kamara and Had Hadmi on transfer deadline day to give us that little boost to get it there. Well, neither of those two were fit. The central midfielder that Kamara was backing up, Dominic Ball was not fit. Lee Evans was not fit. And Ghassana Hadmi was the second striker behind Freddie Ladapo and Tyrese John Jules well John Jules now wasn't fit it still wasn't fit so we ended up really short in those two positions that we well the two positions that we needed to strengthen on deadline day which we did didn't strengthen us and then those two positions were weakened after this game and I think it wasn't just the dropping the points in the ridiculous circumstances here I think it was losing those two players from our rotation that really hurt us as well from there
2: yeah and the confidence as as Seb mentioned uh we were Interestingly, back on telly in midweek on ITV4 as we beat Bracknell away in the Cup. I think Kamara scored in that game, didn't he? But it's all about the Blue Monday live show the following Saturday, Seb, because it was another frustrating draw at home to Cheltenham, as we would kind of alluded to. But I remember this first half, we must have had about 30 corners. I think we scored (laughs) from one of them. Um, But it turned into a really frustrating afternoon.
3: That's the word, isn't it? Frustration. You know, we all kind of thought we'd have the Blue Monday live event afterwards in the Sir Bobby Robson suite after a home, pretty straightforward victory. I think did Ben pre-record a message for the guys at the the live show saying, I'm sure we'd just come off the back of a a strong win against Cheltenham. And yeah, it was just really annoying, wasn't it? It was one of those games where, what's the cliche, you'd still be playing now and you wouldn't have scored. I mean, Kamara hits the inside of the post in the 90-something minute and the ball kind of comes back out to play, you know it's not gonna be not gonna be your day. We scored early, didn't we? Wolfendon, I think, scores pretty early in that one. And you kind of think, here we go, it's another routine run of the mill game. Walton, I remember getting beaten at his near post to kind of continue that that dodgy run of form. It's a it's a shot I thought he should have done a little bit better with. And then yeah, after that, it's just backs to the walls from, from Cheltenham. We we throw everything at them, but we haven't got the the quality off the bench that we had later on in the season, or maybe some of the the confidence going forward to really get the get the breakthrough. And yeah, just incredibly incredibly frustrating day that you know we all kind of felt really annoyed at. And and when that Kamara shot hit the post, the inside of the post for me, I, I just knew it, it wasn't going to happen, was it?
2: No, but your tracksuit that night, Joe, did put a few smiles back on <laughs> Blue Monday faces, didn't it? And that was a really proud moment for us, wasn't it? Getting to to do a live show at Portman Road, like real pinch me moment wasn't
4: it yeah and it was a great show sort of great guests we had there with yeah russell osmond, osmond and blue wilson from the ladies team and yeah no it was a incredible night just a shame that we weren't going into the back of it's it off three points but it was one to me that whilst the performance was frustrating it was one where we played really well we just couldn't score the goal
2: mm, yeah we were uh where, where did we go after this one i think it was
3: exeter wasn't it exeter
4: we away
2: were, yeah and cam up, humphreys five. comes back into the team he sorry cam humphreys had come back into the team for that cheltenham game because as you mentioned well lee evans is out don ball is out so humphreys is back in and this is quite an extended run in the team for him here but we brush aside exeter away live on sky but and that was a good one that that was what we needed to do again we we can tick the box of bouncing back from from a bad defeat and that's something that Plymouth did all season long but then there was another setback and a few days later at home to Fleetwood Seb I think we might have done a live show after that one.
3: Yeah, I think we did a, a post-match reaction, didn't we? Yeah, the mm. Exeter game was really, really good, I thought. Really good away performance at that point. They were still sort of ninth, 10th in the league, touching in distance of the playoffs. We played well. Goals from Harness and and Ladapo. It's crazy. I think that was Harness's last goal before Fleetwood, wasn't it? He, all his goals mm. kind of came in that first half of the season. And then Fleetwood was, you know, incredibly frustrating. I think Wolfenden scored again pretty early on. and I think we held the league for something crazy like 94 minutes until... They kind of throw Joe Garner on. He has an effort from a corner, which is a decent save from somebody who clears it off the line. I think it was Davis gets it off the line and you think, right, well, we've ridden that one out now. It's a a 1-0 home win. Let's close it off. And then there's that freak goal, isn't there, from Kieran Hayes on the the touchline gets the shot off, takes a deflection off Burgess and goes into the one place where Walton can't get near it. And then even after that, Jackson goes straight down the other end, doesn't he? And it's, it's, it's a really blatant penalty, I thought. But for whatever reason, the ref doesn't give it. And yeah, that was just incredibly frustrating. And off the back of you know the, the frustrations of the Cheltenham draw, the frustrations of the Charlton throwing the lead away, it just kind of added a little bit more kind of fuel to that fire that we weren't necessarily getting the, the luck of the draw at that point because... I think Plymouth at that point were winning with deflected goals all the time and we started having the conversations around XG saying, well, it's not sustainable, they will start to drop off. And we were having these these kind of moments just go against us and it really felt like the odds were not on our side at that stage.
2: Yeah, and we were really struggling against the low, bo- low block in the early part of the winter, weren't we, Joe? We start to look a little bit low low on a plan B at times.
4: Well, it, f- it felt like Lincoln had come and done a job on us and then everyone had learned from that and then it took a few games for us to learn, to go against what everyone had learned against us almost there. Apart from that Fleetwood game where I thought they were, in the second half, they dominated the ball and were just the better side in that second half. But it did feel like, okay, this is... a this has become quite a poor run now, wasn't it, when you look at sort of Lincoln, Charlton, Cheltenham Fleetwood. Four out of five or six games where we've dropped points in them all and we've dropped points in all of them from good positions, really. And it was becoming a bit, oh God, like is this happening again? We're with a better team every week here nearly, and we're just not getting the rewards for it. Is is it something we're doing wrong? Is it something that we need to change? Or is it just the Lack of bodies, the lack of the subs that were making the difference in the early games of the season—the Edwards, the John Jules, the Ladapo's—who were coming off the bench and scoring goals for us and important important goals for us at the start of the season—that sort of stopped happening, and we were finishing games weaker rather than stronger.
2: Yeah, it was a frustrating part of the season that was, but we then played Peterborough at home. I think this was an early kickoff, wasn't it? Because England were playing France at night.
3: Yeah. France in the quarterfinals.
2: Oh, okay. God, that godforsaken day it was. I was in sunnier climbs, although actually the weather was miserable in Qatar that day. It was like the only day that it was bad, but a really enjoyable, enjoyable game that one. Um, I think Aluko played. Um, it was Chaplin Aluko behind Caden Jackson, and Chaplin scored that an excellent double. Um, it's the famous, now famous Glenn Wheeler commentary line of "It's Connor Chaplin, baby," where he absolutely lashes it in. From um from a set piece. We're back on top at this stage, Seb. We've we've managed, despite this little blip, we've managed to get back on top. You're probably thinking, Oh, we're we've had our dodgy spell now, we're gonna be fine now.
3: Yeah, it was a really good performance again, wasn't it? You know, they'd been on... P- uh, Peterborough at that stage were on a real bad run of form, and I think there were lots of chances of you getting sacked in the morning towards McCann because no matter what he did, they they were okay at, ho- at London Road, but away from home, they were really, really poor. So, big result for us. Chaplin, you know, lovely little header for the first one. That second one where he actually smashes it home after, I think we had about three penalty kind of cries in, in one face from a corner. Uh, really cold day, minus five, I think it was that day. It was that big cold snap, so I'm sure you had... It might have been a bad weather day in Qatar, but I'm sure you were warmer than we were. But it was, a yeah, an excellent performance. Gets us back top of the league, beating a, a so-called bigger boy, albeit not in a decent run of form. And I kind of thought at the time, OK, well, we've had this blip with Fleetwood, Cheltenham, Charlton, that kind of stuff. You know, this is a big win against the rival, and now we're really going to look to to push on and finish the calendar year strongly. But it wasn't to be. We're not top of the table for
2: very long um, as we're frustrated and beaten by Gareth Ainsworth-Wickham the following week, Joe. Richard Keogh started that game and it was a pretty miserable game all round, wasn't it?
4: Yeah, they scored a, well, it was probably a good goal on their behalf, a bad one on, on ours where Humphreys was sort of muscled off the ball in the midfield and he just ran at sort of Burgess and just left him flat-footed and scored and we didn't we sort of had chance after that but not a huge amount and they just slowed the game down to an absolute standstill didn't they for the second half it was just one of those ones where certain games certain teams when they're ahead in games it's just it's not it's not fun to watch is it when you're watching wickham just accrington teams like that just trying to totally stop the flow of the game and they did it they won Ainsworth came out with the comments about how we brought more staff than they sort of have in their whole club to the game and that they were pleased to beat it. But then you sort of look, that was our first away defeat of the season, wasn't it? Or oh, sorry, second away defeat of the season at that point. And it just felt like the squad, we needed to get to January to reinforce the squad at this point. It felt, we felt short. Lee Evans came back on for Cameron Humphreys in the second half. He sort of felt fairly rushed back from injury to get to get back on there. And we hope that strengthens, but he never quite looked the same after a after his first major injury, he didn't he didn't sort of get back to the standards he set himself at the start of the season, and the same with Marcus Harness, who'd picked up a bad injury in a sort of Papa John's game, and it looked like he was going to be out for a long time. He came back quite quickly, but again, whilst he got back quickly, he never looked like he never looked like the play he was at the start of the no, season. No, but, then, but then
2: teams, as you'd mentioned, were were a little bit sharper against us. They they knew what to expect from us, which would have made it harder for for Evans and Harness to make the same impact, right?
4: Yeah, but yeah, quite quite true. And it was probably just that they'd sort of came into the team. They'd lost their sort of slickness with the um, sort of the rest of the squad, and that midfield balance had, had just totally changed, really, hadn't it? Between sort of Morsey and Humphreys, compared to with Evans there.
2: So, th- did this mean it was a miserable qu- Christmas for you, Seb? Or were you still pretty?
3: Now, given where we finished the year, I mean, we we kind of second going into the Boxing Day games. I don't think any of us could have complained with that. To go from 11th last year, you know, the previous three years, we haven't even bothered the playoffs, let alone the top two. So we were still in a decent position going into it. The Wickham game was just one of those annoying games where, you you know, against a, an Ainsworth side, you kind of know what to expect. And they just kind of did a number on us and shut the game out and made it a bit of a, a horrible spectacle to watch, but but overall, going into Boxing Day, second in the league, I was still pretty confident that the you know the second half of the season would go as we all wanted it to.
4: And we, we were still tracking at sort of two points per game at this point, weren't we? And as you know, two points per game is guaranteed promotion. You get yourself ninety-two <laughs> points in League One, you're gonna you're gonna go up. But that's what we felt at the time, didn't we? We sort of well, we're over two points a game. If we mm-hmm. if we carry on like this, Plymouth will fall back. Maybe Sheffield Wednesday will keep it up, but you're not you're not going to need to get much more than what we're getting here if we carry on like this. And obviously it didn't turn out that way, but we we
5: had
4: you had you not been at two points per game at the midway break, you'd have just never, ever in a million years been able to get enough points in that second half of the season. And we knew we were we were in contention for automatics and the playoffs were whilst not a given, it would have taken a hell of a bad run to miss out on the playoffs totally.
2: Yeah. And as as you kind of alluded to there, we did reach the halfway point on Boxing Day where we comfortably swept aside Oxford. Ladapo, Burns and Chaplin all scored. We're back we're we're in second. I think we'd we'd lost three games at this stage. Um so we weren't to lose too many more. But pretty pleasing stuff overall. What were your main concerns though, Seb, at this stage of the season, or weren't there any?
3: Um the only real concern I had was that we needed to bring bodies in in January didn't we we couldn't go through the second half of the season with the kind of lack of options in the in the striking position I think that was fairly apparent from kind of November onwards that there was no plan B in terms of personal off the bench if Ladapo wasn't on it in a game you know he was having to play every game and run himself into the ground because there was no viable options behind him but you know I think Ashton did an interview in November time and said what well, we will be relentless in our pursuit of promotion with regards to the january window so we knew the reinforcements weren't lying was he no no not at all yeah absolutely it was we we knew the reinforcements were on their way we just had to get to the point where the january window opens and we're in a position of strength which is what we didn't do obviously under mick in 2014-15 and and that's what we did you know we we see the year out finishing kind of second in the calendar year finishing second in the in the league and then we go into january and we get our business done early and my only concern was you know if we can get those people in quickly and they can hit the ground running then we'll be good to go for the second half of the season.
4: Yeah, I think there was this, the problem that we play quite a complicated system so you need to get the players in and give them a sort of a few weeks to get to get going effectively and this and you could see the season was becoming a little bit disjointed with all the cup games we had at this throughout this month and that we knew were coming up into the January as well that it meant that whilst the team was staying relatively consistent in the league it was being chopped and changed for the cup competitions. And it was becoming, I don't know, we, we weren't quite making the, we, we, we did, we felt like we stopped going forwards. It felt like we'd sort of hit a bit of a wall here and we were just desperately waiting for January to come around so that we could regroup and go again. And it was just that case of how early can we get the business done? And when you, when you looked at the areas we had, we, we needed the central midfielder desperately because we only really had Sam Moore's in Cameron Humphreys. We didn't solve the striker problem in August, so we needed the striker and and then it was Sonny Aluko sort of had fallen really out of sort of out with contention in the league, really, hadn't he? So it was a case of mm. needing someone there. Marcus Harness has obviously had the bad injury. Kyle Edwards was doing okay, but isn't sort of someone who he was more of a wide player than one of the tens that we'd played. So you could see a gap there and it was just a case of are we gonna are we going to be able to go out and get the right players and and are we going to be able to get them in early enough so that they're gonna be able to make a difference this season because come the end of January, we were in a pretty not not in a dire position, but we were in a position where it looked like we had a hell of a lot of work to do to go for that top two from there, didn't
2: it? It did. And Seb, could you remember anyone saying that we might need to sign a new right-back?
3: Because I don't. No, Donassian, I think, was ever-present. I think he might have missed one game. he was probably one of the
2: players of the season by this stage, wasn't he?
3: And he had had been under McKenna previously in the previous six months last year, hadn't he? You know, we all know what you get from Donacian. He had that great relationship with... With Burns kind of built up and their understanding together, and okay, he's he's not the best going forward, but he brings the best out of Wes Burns. He's very solidly defensively. I think McKenna and Paul Cook described him as the best one-on-one defender in the club. So you know what you get from him. But it's an example, isn't it, of our ownership now and our you know our kind of progressive stance as a football club that if we see an upgrade available, we will go and do it. And I think we might see similar this summer in certain positions. Obviously we'll go we'll discuss our transfer dealings later on in the summer, but I think if the right player is available at the right price and they will add quality and add value and improve on our squad, we will go and do it because that's the kind of club we are now.
2: We are. And
3: it's long may it continue. Hey. Um, so that was
2: part one. I believe Ben will be here hosting part two. Uh, that should be available early, early next week. So that's, what is that? The week beginning Twenty second of May or something like that doesn't really matter when you listen to this one, does it, Joe? This is a timeless classic.
4: Yes, can we listen to maybe when you're looking at the journey when we're Champions League in the Champions League in sort of three years' time? You look back to where the journey began, and you, this will be the first port of call. Cool.
2: Or indeed, if you want to sort of remind yourself of what it's normally like to be an Ipswich fan, you could listen to some of our previous season reviews. I'm not even sure we've um, we've bothered the last couple of years, but I seem to remember doing them uh in at the end of the mick era and we were talking about how much of a difference emmy hughes made when he was he was in the team so that really puts a date stamp on that one um seb we we are as always doing a a giveaway on twitter can you talk us through that one please
3: we are, yeah. We've teamed up with the guys at Mozilla Designs. They've done one of the uh, the graphic prints of the opening goal by Chaplin against Exeter in the in the 6-0 in the game that secured the promotion. It's kind of got a bit of commentary underneath, and it's got the old-school football manager 2D kind of icons showing the player positions and stuff. So we've got a giveaway going out on the socials. It's an A3 print, I think it is. So if you go to at Blue Monday ITFC, you will see the tweet that we've put out. You need to follow us. You need to follow Mozilla Designs, which is just at Mozilla Designs, and retweet the tweet from our social. And the guys will announce the winner on Sunday, I believe. Excellent
2: stuff. Joe, you look like you've got space for that in the background somewhere. Well, so this, the problem
4: is, this has become my wife's office now because she works from home and I don't. And um, so she has to have the awkward conversation as to why she has random football shirts hanging up. So I, I like to change it for every pod that I'm on. So she has to deal with why it's currently Luongo <laughs> and Morsi hanging up. <laughs> Somebody thought it was an AC Milan shirt in her meeting last week, though. So there is
2: that. Lovely. C Milan, one of the worst um, Champions League semi finalists of all time, surely this this year. Um, but we'll move we'll move on from that. Joe, um, there was some quite interesting news from the local press this week. Andy Warren, um, good friend of the show, is is moving on from his post as a reporter at the East Anglian Daily Times, but he's staying. Thankfully, he's staying with Ipswich Town, isn't he? He's moving to work for the club.
4: Yeah, he's gone into the, going into the media team, Ipswich Town. So it's it's not just off on the pitch where we're investing. It's good to see somebody a sort of and his quality like we've all I'm sure listened to the Kings of Anglia podcast, read read his work across the East Anglian and the Ipswich Star over the years and it's always good stuff. He's a good guy, good journalist, and it'll be good to see him now still continuing to play a part in the club and there. And it's good to see that the investment doesn't stop sort of throughout the club because this is where this is one of the big changes in the game changer era the mark ashton era is that just the size of the backroom staff and the the club staff because it was really stripped down to the absolute bone under marcus evans and the media team would be one person and sort of have to do everything now it's sort of up to three or four and you've got that you've got all the work's going on around the ground you've got i know you go on the website and look at the club vacancies there's always jobs on there and it's just it's just what we've, what we need, what the, what the club needed, what the town needed, because there's always been good people working for the club, but they've been working with sort of two hands tied behind their backs with the resources that they've had to work with, and now sort of the foundation is flourishing, the community trust is growing again, and these are, the, these are just the positive moves that will ensure that when the club gets to the Premier League, because we will get there, that it will be a Premier League club when it gets there, not a, not a League One or a Championship club, just punching above its weight.
2: Excellent, lovely stuff, Joe and Seb. Before we go, why should our listeners t- tune into part two? What's going to happen?
3: Well, those guys have got the the lovely bit. They've got a bit of a uh, bit of a hard slog at the start with kind of January, February time, and then it goes into the crazy run, and you can relive all those amazing, incredible away days towards the end of the season. Yeah, Ben's hosting. It. I think Rich, Craig, and Dave will all be on there, and they can relive the the home run that started after that Bristol Rovers game that kind of saw us to promotion and yeah, relive those magical moments like Hurst's goal away at Barnsley.
2: Excellent. Thanks, Seb. Thanks, Joe. That was part one. Make sure you go and check out part two when it's available. Thanks, everyone, for watching listening. Have a good one.